So if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark, Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2, we're continuing our remarkable series. Um, I'm excited uh, about what the Lord, I believe, is going to do in and through this. We're going to be going through the Gospel of Mark uh, leading up to Easter, and so we want to encourage you uh, as we do that. As a matter of fact, um, I don't know what I did with that uh, ball. Yeah, let me see that. You took that from me. Um, part of the reason why I wanted to use this is to kind of maybe even strengthen or drive something home. Anybody ever go to a baseball game and they all of a sudden start doing this? Yeah, that, that's not usually the reaction that happens at the baseball game when they start doing that. When we've gone to the College World Series, I, I usually take Ethan every year. We go up to Omaha, we go to the College World Series, and it never fails that there's usually a group of people out in the outfield that in, inflate like four or five of these beach balls, big ones, and they start pounding them around. And I just thought about this whole idea. It's like, oh man, the temptation is so great because everybody's like, oh, I want to be the one that's going to hit it. We're going to hit it. And then you see the security guard or the ushers come rushing down trying to get the, the, the beach ball, which of course is like the never-ending process of trying to get it. I mean, how do you get a beach ball when it's like, hey, I need that beach ball? And the person's like, yeah, whatever. And they hit it. It's like, go get that one, you know? Um, but it's just that mentality. I think about things like that when we deal with temptation, how it's easily uh, one of those things that we, we can struggle with. Uh, but when we allow the Lord to fight with us and fight for us, we can overcome it. So Mark chapter 2, Mark chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 1. Let's go ahead and read the text, and then we'll jump in, because I believe that there's a lot here to unpack. We've, a matter of fact, I've preached on this uh, particular uh, uh, Story. I haven't done it from Mark. I used the, uh, one of the other Gospels. But let's go ahead. Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 1, and it says this. Keep in mind what's happened. Jesus has been baptized as a result of his baptism. He comes up out of the water. The Spirit comes upon him. Then he calls his disciples. Then he goes in and he shows his authority by driving out the demons, by healing many, by, by going and praying in a solitary place, and then healing this, this leprous man. And then it says this. A few days later... When Jesus again entered Capernaum, the people heard that he had come home. Now, the thought process is that he had returned to Peter's house is, is the thought, because if you remember at Peter's house in, in verses 29 through 34 in chapter 1, he goes to Peter's house and heals Peter's mother-in-law, all right? But so it says that he had come home. Verse 2, so many gathered. That there was no room for left, uh, no room left, not even outside the door. Okay, so there's no room left, not even outside the door, and he preaches the word to them. Some men came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four of them. Since they could not get to him or get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above Jesus, and after digging through it, lowered the mat the paralyzed man was lying on. And when Jesus saw whose faith. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some teachers of the law were sitting there thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? I kind of think about it maybe in a West Virginia voice. Look at this fellow over here doing this. I don't know. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he says to the paralytic, I tell you, get up, 
take your mat and go home. He got up, took his mat, walked out in full view of them all, and listen to what happens. This amazed everyone, and they praised God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. I want you to keep that in mind as long as, or as, as well as the verse we talked about, about God's faithfulness and how he provides in, in every circumstance and situation. Because I want to talk about this idea of hope and healing for the hurting. Hope and healing for the hurting. See, I believe as Christians, we believe that there's one thing that every person needs more than anything else. As Christians, we believe that there's one more or one thing that people need more than anything else. And that that is this idea that every person is born in need of God's forgiveness. They need Jesus. And what we have to begin to understand is we begin to see this played out. If you remember anything about Mark, we talked about this, that Jesus came and he said, hey, I came to preach the good news. What was this good news? This idea of repenting and believing. Repent or confess your sins, and then as a result, believe in Jesus. And, and then he says, I want to carry this also idea that it's repent and then acknowledge the kingdom. Jesus comes to show or establish his kingdom. And I said this a couple of weeks ago. It's this idea that we have to begin to understand there's already not yet kingdom. In other words, Jesus comes and he establishes his kingdom or God's kingdom on earth, but it's not yet what? completed. It's not yet fulfilled completely. In other words, when Jesus comes back, it will be finally completed or finally fulfilled, but God gives us everything that we need. And listen, we have to begin to understand that every person born is in need of God's forgiveness. So while all Christians agree that every person needs God's forgiveness, that in reality is the very thing at times or is the very thing that we can be inclined at times to think very little about. Like we acknowledge people need God's forgiveness, but yet at the same time, we will think very little about it. We think very little about this need and instead we'll give our attention to less pressing things, to more important things, at least that's what we think. We forget that the forgiveness that we have received, uh, and, 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 and we think about this, we, we forget about this forgiveness that we've received and we fail to help others see their need for forgiveness. So here's the beauty of this text. There's a number of ways we can play this out, right? But we're going to look at this through a couple of eyes or a couple of different ways and in ways that will help us or hopefully help each one of us apply this text to our life, okay? We have to begin to understand what's taking place in this text. At the same time, some of us pursue actions to attempt to stop the works of Jesus, And I know people would say, well, that would never be me. And I would hope not. But I can tell you point blank, and I've had people tell me before as a pastor, I had one gentleman tell me one time, I don't care what God's word says, this is the way we do it. And I went, hold on just a second, let me me get away from you (laughs) because I really don't want to be struck or or feel the repercussions of of something that's going to happen to that. We have to begin to understand, and, and I want you to understand, I believe all of us need to understand this, that in every way, shape, or form, the way we build our lives, what we do, how, what we say, how we treat others, all has to be built upon the foundation of God's Word. And when I build my life on the foundation of God's Word, then I have to make decisions And I should make responses or have actions that reflect what God's character and God's word says. 
And so today, if you remember anything, I want you to remember this, that Jesus gives hope and healing to the hurting. But listen how he does this, through the forgiveness of sins. Jesus gives hope and healing to the hurting through the forgiveness of sin. The sin that we carry from day one till the sin that we're going to die with, Jesus is the only one in reality who has any hope or healing for the brokenness or for the problems and the struggles that each and every one of us deal with. We have to begin to understand that Jesus is the one that gives hope and healing. Now, I cautiously say this because I want you to understand where I'm trying to come from, but there are a lot of things that have gone on in church and I'm not just talking us, there are a lot of things that have gone on in church that oftentimes lead us to think that we're the ones that, that, that are able to offer or fix somebody's life. When the truth of the matter is that, that we, the believers, the church, the, the body of Christ are the ones who are supposed to be what? Pointing or reflecting or, or, or leading people or, or showing people the good news of Jesus Christ. That's our only thing that we bring. That's the only thing that we have an option to. We can't change them. But listen, we can lead them to Jesus. And so Jesus gives hope and healing to the hurting through forgiveness of sins. So here's how this plays out. Jesus has been baptized. We just talked about it. In his baptism, it says that the heavens were tore open, if you remember that. And it's the same word when the heavens were torn open and the dove descended on Jesus was the same word that we see used when Jesus dies on the cross and it says that the veil was torn open. Right, And so this idea of it being torn open is that now we have a relationship with God through his son and we have direct access to him. So Jesus is baptized. After his baptism, he's led off into temptation, which I think is pretty cool when we talk about how we deal with temptation, how we walk through those struggles and difficulties. And then after his temptation, he goes and he shows his authority. And now we come to this Thing. And, and, and here's the crazy thing about whether it's Mark or, or some of these other texts, all right? What we begin to understand is this, that Mark is big on the kingdom of God. And in Mark, what he wants to show is that in the kingdom, there are some who work against the kingdom. There are some who are going to stand against and work against the very foundation of the kingdom of God. And listen to me, there are not, not really some good things to be said about these people. Right? Mark is kind of clarifying this. And so I just want to look at this from the, the eyes of these three individuals. Like the first, the guy on the mat. Second, the, the individuals who brought him. And then the third, the eyes of those who were, I guess would, you would say, attacking or, or making negative comments about Jesus. So Jesus enters Capernaum, possibly the home of Simon Peter that we talked about. And the kingdom is already and yet not yet. And listen, one of the things we begin to see is this, that the most common attribute that Mark talks about, a matter of fact, over 40 times he brings this up, that Jesus was surrounded by crowds. And everybody's like, oh, that's awesome. Mark brings up the crowds because the crowds tend to be, listen to this, the crowds tend to be the ones who block, hinder, or stop the progress of Jesus because they're stopping people from getting to him. Now, that's just a big reading into it, but Mark attests, listen, to Jesus' popularity all throughout Galilee by referring to these crowds some 40 times. But those crowds, those crowds form audiences for his teachings and Jesus, listen, if you know anything about Matthew chapter 9, it says Jesus had compassion on them like they were sheep without a shepherd. 
okay? And so when Jesus comes in, he comes in and listen to what happens. He preaches. Let's think of what he says in verse two. So many gathered that there was no room left. Matter of fact, not only was there no room left inside, it says not even outside the door and he preached the word to him. So here's what I want you to understand as we begin to know that Jesus gives us hope. Jesus focuses on the main thing that everybody needs. What do they need? The gospel. A word of hope. Jesus preaches the word, the truth of the gospel, the fact that Jesus had come. He was going to die on the cross. The fact that there was no other way to God except through the Son. That there's no other way to God except through the forgiveness of sins. And all of that is paid for by Jesus. So he preaches the word to them. And here's the crazy thing about this whole idea. What attracts the crowds to Jesus? Well, some of it was his works, right? He goes out and he heals a man with leprosy. He healed a lady who was sick. He goes out and he casts out a demon or drives out an evil spirit out of a man who was there at the synagogue to worship, right? You know, I I think about this, and if you put ourselves or put us in a situation like that, how many times have we had somebody come in on a Sunday morning, maybe who's strung out on drugs, looking for a quick fix, looking for a way to get some financial support to continue to move forward? Those are opportunities for Jesus to walk into the center of that person's life. And so, Here's what happens. Jesus preaches the word. And here's what I want you to begin to understand. What attracts crowds to Jesus? Yes, he preached the good news with great boldness and authority. That's what we're told in chapter one. But I also want you to think about this, that Jesus, not only did he preach, but his actions lined up with what he preached. He provided, he cared for. What is it that people need today? And let me, let me be clear on this. Because we can go around, we can say, hey, the people down south need some heat. They need people who are going to go down and help them fix their, their pipes and things like that. But let me ask this question. You could go down and fix their pipes all day. But if they don't hear the good news of Jesus, they die tomorrow, what happens? Yeah. And so the truth of the matter is, the very foundation with which we do everything is the fact that all of us are called to preach the good news. All of us are called to stand on the gospel. All of us are called to share and to love. And listen, our faith has to line up with our actions, but we have to begin to understand that the good news is the very thing. As a matter of fact, there's a point in the gospel where there's a poor man outside the temple and he's asking for money. And what does Peter and them tell him? Yeah, we don't have money. But what we do have, we can give you right? And so, listen, there is a balance with how you take care of people who are in need and also providing for the main need that has to be met by any gospel-loving follower, and that is that the good news grows the church. Listen, number one, Jesus is preaching the word, and we have to understand this, that the good news of the gospel is what grows the church. And what I'm, what I'm talking about is this, we grow internally first, Right? That when I preach the gospel day in and day out to myself, I grow internally because I have to understand that even though I am blood-bought, redeemed believer in Jesus, that I need the gospel every day. Why? Because I still sin. And as I preach to myself, I can look at everybody else and go, hey, look, they're no different than I was when I was just like that. What do they need? They don't need you to tell them how bad they are. What they need is the good news of Jesus Christ. 
And so what we stand on is the truth of the gospel. Listen to 2 Timothy chapter 3. All scripture is God-breathed, right? And useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness. Now listen, so that the, the, the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How are you thoroughly equipped? How is every believer thoroughly equipped for every good work? Sitting in a Sunday school class. Now, I'm not trying to degrade Sunday school or a life group or anything like that. How are you and I equipped for every good work? If all scriptures God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, then all scripture is the very thing that I have to build my life upon so that, listen, the servant of God or the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. How am I equipped for good work? By knowing the word of God. See, the word is the very thing that changes the hearts and the lives, the families and the communities. When Jesus penetrates the community, when Jesus penetrates the heart of the individual and his word speaks to him, then that's what changes people's hearts. And so we begin to go, okay, hey, what does this mean? The good news is what grows the church. I grow internally and I share the gospel with others and they respond. Some will, some won't. And that's not on you. Listen, the Bible is very clear that God gave some to plant the seed, some to water, but who makes it grow? The Lord. God makes it grow. And you can't hold yourself accountable for somebody else's response or lack of response. You can't give yourself the credit and go, look what I did, because God's the one at work. And you can't at the same time go, man, I should have done more. If you live the faith out, if you share the gospel with those people and they continue to reject and continue to reject, is that on you? No. And that's the thing we begin to understand. Now listen, the, the beauty of this text is so great here. Jesus, it says there were so many there. I want you to think about that. So many people had heard the good news, had heard and seen what Jesus had done. And it says there are so many people there that what? Not only was the inside packed, but people couldn't what? They couldn't even get close to a door or a window to hear what Jesus was going to say. So we have to understand the importance of the word. Number two, I want you to see this, that we must do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. We have to be willing to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. And here's why. 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 6, and this is one of those things we have to begin, or starting in verse 2, all the way through verse 6, and it's very clear. He says this, to preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, to correct, rebuke, and encourage, listen, with great patience and with careful instruction. Why? Because listen what's going to happen. For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. In other words, strong biblical teaching. They will not put up with that. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers who say or to say what their itching ears want to hear. Listen, we live in a world right now that is completely built upon that. If I want to hear a certain thing, I will surround myself with that person who's going to encourage that kind of thinking and ideology. I mean... Heck, all you got to do is go on the internet and that'll <laughs> do a Google search. You know, I don't, that's not really even accurate, right? Google tracks everything about you and based upon your previous searches is what you pull up. It's not accurate. Google's selling you what you think you want to hear. 
Facebook does the same thing. Twitter, it's all out there. So listen, we have to be built upon sound doctrine. I don't follow the whims of man or cater to the whims of man. We have to continue to build our lives on Jesus. Number two, we have to do whatever it takes. We said that over and over and over again. Listen to what happens, and here's the beauty of this. The room is so packed that people can't even get close to the door. And it says in verse four, since they could not get him to Jesus because of the crowd, they made an opening in the roof above. I mean, let's be honest. If we were in church and the place was so packed out that somebody wanted to get Jesus or get a person to Jesus and somebody started digging through that wall, you'd have people come unglued. There'd be people there like going outside. I'm going to tackle this dude. We're going to get him off. I mean, imagine if this is your house. You're in there. You've got Jesus. You're hosting Jesus. You're excited. People are there. And all of a sudden, chunks start falling from the roof of your house. I mean, I, I just put myself out there. I might come a little unglued. I'm going to go get my ladder. I'm going to climb up on the roof with a, probably a whooping stick and be like, bro, you better get off my roof. Right? But what, we don't see any mention of that, do we? What we see is this that everybody was astounded by Jesus' teachings and they want to hear. And as a result of people wanting to hear, some respond, some don't. But listen, the faith of a few, including the paralytic, leads to a changed life. So listen again what he says. We have to be determined because listen what happens. Some men came bringing to him a paralytic. And it doesn't say how many men. I want you to think about this. At this point, it just says some men came bringing a paralytic. But it does tell us that four of them who carried him, four of them had lowered him after they dug through the roof, they begin to lower him down through the ground. And so we, when we talk about this idea, we have to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. Do we believe that Jesus can meet the needs of the people? And here's the truth of the matter, that when Jesus meets the needs of the people, Oftentimes we look and go, well, then he should meet every single need at every point in time. And listen, I believe he does in times and in ways and in through people, but we have to begin to understand what is the main need that Jesus came to fulfill first and foremost in everybody? The spiritual need, right? Their salvation. And so they know that this man needs a life-changing process. He needs something that's going to heal him from being paralyzed. We don't know why he was paralyzed. We don't get any of that story. But this man, in some way, shape, or form, if I could just picture it, this man most likely set out in front of somewhere asking for donations. Can you help me out? Maybe it was outside the temple. Who knows? But I need help. And then lo and behold, maybe some friends, it doesn't say friends, it just says some men. Maybe he got some guys together who said, can you guys just get me to Jesus? Can you just take me to Jesus? Please, whatever it takes, just get me to Jesus. And these guys get him to Jesus, the only problem is they can't get him all the way to Jesus. It doesn't say that they were followers, But it does say they had faith, doesn't it? Because Jesus says, I recognize their faith. 
Listen, the paralytic had to be a faithful person because he was asking for help. At the same time, these who were helping him out did or went to the extreme to take care of or to get this guy to Jesus, to the point of destroying somebody's house to a certain extent. And my question is, when we begin to ask ourselves, and I'm asking this from a personal thing, don't look at the church, don't go, well, the church doesn't, or the church this or the church that. The church is the body of believers. Please hear me out on that. And when we start talking and we go, well, I just want to see something that happened in the book of Acts happen in our church. Well, good. Guess what? That means it starts with you at your home and your neighbors and your coworkers and your friends and your family. Now, listen to me when I say this, because you have to begin to understand. The early church was not about organizing programs and things like that. The early church was about making disciples. And when we make disciples, that means it falls upon the shoulders of the disciples to take the message of the good news out into the lost community. Now, please hear me out when I say this. I'm not telling you we're not going to have any programs or things like that are going to try and encourage you and fill you and give you opportunities to serve. But please hear me out. The body of believers called the church, the bride of Christ, when we live on mission on a daily basis, should look at it and go, am I willing to do whatever it takes? Do I walk with a determined faith to see those who are far from Jesus get close to Jesus? Is my faith determined? And listen to me when I say this. I have talked to multiple people here in the church, and I'm like, if you talk to your neighbors, I don't know my neighbors. Shame on you. Shame on us if we're not willing to go next door, knock on the door, and make a relationship with our neighbors. Because our neighbors need Jesus. Doing whatever it takes means that I go to a determined end, an undetermined end, to say I will continue to move forward with the gospel. While the path, listen, while the path to Jesus was blocked by all kinds of people with, listen, good intentions, right? I'm just here to hear the message too. I want to see what this man's going to do. Great intentions, nothing wrong with the people. But these men set out and said with the determined action, we're going to do whatever it takes to get this man to Jesus. And let me ask this church, are you and I willing to do whatever it takes to get a person to Jesus? Because this is where the rubber meets the road and here is where it gets difficult. In every way, shape, or form, as we have tried to help people in need financially, as we have tried to help people in need who are on drugs and alcohol addiction and things like that, all of those things take time. All of those things take sacrifice. All of those things take effort. All of those things take consistency. And all of those things will drain the daylights out of you. Listen to me if you try and do it in your own strength. When you try and do it without ring. And let me just be very clear. When you try and do it without God's word. The reason Jesus continued to move forward. Number one, he was God's son. Number one, he, two, he was, well, number one, number one, he was God. But Jesus rested. Jesus lived on the word. 
Jesus relied upon the word. And if you think all of a sudden that you're greater than Jesus and you don't need to rest and you don't need the word, we're at a whole nother starting point now. Listen to what he says too, because I think it's important for us to understand this. Listen to what Jesus says. When Jesus saw their faith, and here's the beauty of it, they were determined, the men were determined to get him there. The paralytic was determined to get there because he could have said, oh, guys, just put me down. I'll be okay here. I can only imagine this guy going, I'm right here. You got to do whatever it takes to get me to Jesus. Just take me up the stairs. Go up the stairs onto that flat roof where they would hang out their clothes to dry or they would get up where they could get some air sometimes through those buildings. Take me up there and go through the, 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 the roof. We'll dig a hole. I mean, deep down inside, I could hear one of the guys going, you can't do that, bro. This is a guy's house. And the paralytic going, I don't care. I just got to get to Jesus. And another one going, but what if they come after us and ask us to fix it? I don't care. I just got to get to Jesus. Do you hear the excuses that could begin to take place? And how believers could very easily be ones who, rather than walking with a determined faith, could come up with an excuse. And listen to what Jesus says. Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, a lot of people would argue at this point that, that Jesus saying the reason you're paralyzed is because of your sins. But I want you to understand this. This is a common misconception in most people's lives. As a result of sin, the world has fallen, correct? As a result of sin, we're going to have earthquakes, tornadoes. We're going to have storms. We're going to have violence. We're going to have oppression. We're going to have hatred. We're going to have racism. All of that is a bigger picture of what is a result of sin. All of those things. You have conflict with another believer. Sin, guaranteed. Don't care. Sin. You can come and give me your explanation. Doesn't matter. Sin. Philippians chapter 2, consider others better than yourself out of humility. All of those things are a result of sin. And so when Jesus says, hey, son, your sins are forgiven, people go, oh, see, he was paralyzed because of his sin. No. Because of sin, because of the brokenness of this world, some will die from cancer. Some will die because they were stillborn. Some are going to die and suffer a persecution or a murder or things like that all as a result of sin. But what Jesus does is he shows his authority to forgive sins. And it's important for us to understand this because a lot of times we think, man, bad things are happening to me. It must be. It must be sin that I am sinning in some way, shape, or form. Can I tell you something? You could be the strongest believer living on the word and guess what's gonna happen to you? bad things. As a result of sin, bad things will happen. That's why you hear of pastors preaching the word, strong, believing pastors preaching the word, and somebody walks in and shoots them. That's why you hear of, of people who are a loving, growing, caring family who have done missions for years, and the husband's stricken with cancer. That's why you find out about people who suffer and struggle overseas as a result of their faith in Jesus and they're killed and martyred as a result. The promise of Jesus was not a promise without, life, without trials, was not a life without difficulty and struggle. The promise was, Jesus said, listen, number one, you will be saved, 
blood bought and redeemed by the blood of Jesus on the cross, the blood I shed for the forgiveness of your sins. And number two, I will never leave you nor forsake you. The two promises you can build your life upon that regardless of what you face, those are the very things you can hold on to. So listen, when I talk about this, that we have to be determined to do whatever it takes to see people come to Jesus, I wanna ask that question. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? See, we shouldn't overlook the example of these men. There are people all around us in need of Jesus and of his salvation, and we should be committed to helping those around us see their need and to point them to Jesus as the one who can meet their greatest need. And number three, and it kind of just builds upon that, Jesus is the only one to heal and forgive people's sin. There is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved than Jesus. So while the paralytic lay on the ground in front of him, the next words from Jesus aren't the words that anyone expected. Jesus pronounces the forgiveness of sin, and then I can see it off in the distance. You can only imagine it because the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, the religious rulers were following Jesus around, kind of seeing what's going on, trying to catch him in some sin. And as soon as he says, you're forgiven of your sins, what do they do? Who are you to forgive sins? You don't have that authority or power. Who are you to come in and do what you just did? And remember what we talked about last week was Jesus' authority over everything. His authority over evil spirits, his authority over our physical health, his authority over the diseases and the sicknesses that are around, the very people that were there in that day. Jesus shows he has authority over everything on heaven and on earth, in heaven and on earth. And so as a result of Jesus' authority, he's the only one who can heal and forgive people of sin. See, our greatest need, we just talked about, is forgiveness. And Jesus is the one through whom forgiveness is available. And so we have to trust him for our forgiveness and then point others to him as the one they need. The question is, do you really believe that that's the one they need? Do they really need Jesus? Or do they need a financial plan that's going to help them in the future? Do they need an AA group that's going to get them out of the struggles and difficulties they deal with the temptations of alcohol or drugs? See, what may seem like an odd question in Jesus' question was really revealing his authority. Listen to verse 8, and I love what he says. <laughs> I mean, I want to jump to verse 7. Number, listen to what the, the Pharisees say. Why does this fellow talk like that? He's blaspheming. Right? And, and listen to this, by the way. They didn't say this. I, I had to clarify this. Verse 6. They were thinking to themselves, why does this fellow talk like that? Now, let's talk about authority, and let's talk about power. They're thinking this in their mind, and they're thinking he's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And listen to what it says. Immediately. Remember what I talked about last week? Mark 41 times uses the term immediately or at once. Immediately. Jesus knew what they were what? What they said? No. What they were thinking. And let me reveal this to you. When you put thoughts in your mind or when thoughts come to your mind that are contrary to Scripture, do you think Jesus doesn't know immediately your thoughts, your struggles, your difficulties? 
Here the Pharisees are thinking in their minds, who's this that forgives sins? And I love this. I mean, could you imagine you're sitting there, you know, maybe it's that deja vu moment or whatever you're thinking, but they're thinking this big idea and listen to what Jesus does. Jesus didn't think this, you know, Jesus brings it out. Why are you thinking these things? Well, wait, hold on a second. You ever been in a moment where you thought something and you thought, did I just say that? Like, or maybe you've said something when you're thinking of it and you didn't mean to say it. But listen, they're thinking this and Jesus goes, why are you thinking those things? Now talk about putting yourself in your place, right? Like all these people are gathered around. Jesus looks over at the religious rulers and says, why are you thinking those things? And every head went, like, what are you thinking, dude? And you can see the religious rulers being like, oh, crud. Everybody's looking at us. They put me on the spot. And Jesus knew right away what they were thinking. And listen to what he says. Which is easier to sin or to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven. Or to say, get up, take your mat and walk. And then here's Jesus' authority again. But that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The truth of the matter is this, that Jesus is the only one who can forgive sins. Jesus is the only one who can heal the dead, who can heal the lame, who can work with the sick, who can give sight to the blind. Jesus is the only one who does all of those things. And listen, our greatest need, while it is forgiveness, is also to point others to Jesus and let them know that, that his forgiveness is available. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, from that time on, when John the Baptist began preaching, which is where we start with Mark chapter one, from the time that John the Baptist began preaching until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. Forcefully. And I said this in the first week, that we're talking about this idea of the kingdom of God that Mark's bringing about, and we have to begin to understand, if the kingdom of heaven is forcefully advancing, is it forcefully advancing into its own territory, or is it forcefully advancing into enemy territory? It's forcefully advancing, that means it's taking the fight to the enemy. A forceful advancement is not me taking back something I already own. A forceful advancement is God working in a supernatural way, advancing into territory that is not his and doing things that he hasn't done before in those areas to reach people with the good news of the gospel. That's what we begin to see. So that does not mean, listen, that you're going to force Jesus on others or you're going to be mean and arrogant with the gospel. What it means is that you and I are going to find that when we get involved in bringing people to Jesus, you and I are going to be going against the flow. We're going to be moving upstream. We're going to be walking into the wind. We're going to be climbing the steepest mountain and the forces of darkness are going to try to put up as many obstacles and roadblocks and difficulties and disunity as is possible. The kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. You and I are just simply called to build our lives upon the truth of the gospel, to preach the gospel every day to ourselves so that we never forget our need for the gospel and others' need for the gospel. 
And as we do that, we begin to understand and know that God, listen, that we have to walk with a determined faith, willing to do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. And listen, when you get those people to Jesus because the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing, because Jesus is the only one who forgives sins, listen to what happens in verse 12. So the man gets up, he takes his mat, he walks out in full view of them all and listen to what happens to everybody. It says, this amazed everyone. And they praise God saying, we have never seen anything like this. You know, when we talk about this idea of a supernatural faith and what God wants to do in our lives, the question begins to say, I hear this over and over and over again from believers. We wanna be a part of something that we've never seen before. But can I tell you the truth of the matter when it comes to this? The reason we oftentimes don't experience is because we expect everybody else to do it. We don't take ownership of it. We don't own our own faith. We don't progressively move forward in seeking God and his word. We're not praying for him daily or praying with him daily, praying to him daily, asking him to work in our lives. We're not progressing and moving forward in those ways. What we do is we sit back and we expect other people to do it. A church that is a community-altering, life-changing church, or let me just say this, the church, when the church gets ownership takes ownership of the responsibilities that each and every one of us, listen to me, each. So I'm not asking you to look at the person next to you. I'm asking you to look inwardly. When the church takes ownership of what we are called to do, listen to me, called. In other words, out of obedience, we do it. When we take ownership of what we are called to do. Now the church forcefully moves forward, declaring the gospel to people who need it, day in and day out. Does that mean that everybody's going to believe? No. Does that mean we're never going to have problems? No. Does that mean I'm not going to be persecuted? Nope, contrary. When this comes up, You and I are going to face struggles and difficulties, but I want to ask you this question. Is your faith a determined faith? Does it produce action? Do you have compassion and courage for those who need the forgiveness of Jesus? Are you willing to do whatever it takes? And if that's the case, are you willing to join with others to do whatever it takes? And it all starts with your neighbor. That's the first avenue. Yeah, we've got friends, we've got families, we've got coworkers, we've got all kinds of things, but I want to ask you that question. Are you willing to do whatever it takes? Let's pray. Father, we know that we need your forgiveness. And God, maybe we have walked, I don't want to call it carelessly, but God, I think sometimes we become uh, selfish. We look at our needs. We don't look at the needs of others. We look at, at the, the, our struggles, our difficulties, our trials, and we focus on those. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us see as you see, that we would see the lost, the broken, the dying, the hurting, those in need of healing, 
And that, God, we would walk in obedience with great faith, a determined faith that says we're willing to do whatever it takes to reach people with the gospel. God, would you have your way? And I think as I think through Scripture, would you use Scripture, since all Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training, would you use that Scripture today, Lord, to teach us, to correct us, to rebuke us and to train us so that we could be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.